0: Welcome back. This is Paul. I'm here with Jeff, and it's Zojo Talk, back from the grave. And what we're going to talk about this time is WWDC 2019, which just happened yesterday, actually. And uh, so Jeff and I are going to talk a bit about what happened at WDC
1: and uh, how some of that might affect Zojo. So Jeff, welcome. Oh, thanks, Paul. It's good to be here. It's been a while since you and I have done one of these. It
0: has. I probably the last one was another, uh, Apple event of some sort. Probably. Uh, So I think we'll just go through kind of in order of what Apple talked about and, and see what comes up. So, uh, this keynote was super packed and it went long. It was almost like two and a half hours, I think. And they were practically running on and off the stage to cover stuff. So, uh, lot of things. They started off uh, with a recap of some of their uh, services stuff, which we don't really need to get into too much, but that transitioned into Apple TV, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, I I hardly ever use our cable box. We really only have cable so I can get Red Sox games. Uh, (laughs) I don't really use it for anything else. I primarily use the Apple TV. And one cool thing they announced, it's the only thing I really remember, is the ability to have essentially user accounts. So You can uh, swipe over from the side and get a panel and you can pick who's watching. So I can pick the, hey, I'm the one watching now. These are the shows I last watched. Get the next episode and then my daughter, who also uses Apple TV probably second after me, can swipe over and watch her shows. And we don't have a lot of overlap between what we watch for shows.
1: So (laughs) it's good that they're separate. We we use Apple TV as well. In fact, we got rid of cable six years ago. So we've been... when. We've been uh, stream, doing streaming only with Hulu and Netflix. And, of course, Netflix has had the concept of of user accounts um, for a long, long time. And it, so it's a little surprising that it's taken Apple this long to have that feature. But like you, um, what I watch and what my daughter watches, for example, are often very, very different. So, um, that, yeah, I, I really appreciate that uh, that new, new new feature. Um, Going back to the services, though, one thing they did show when they were talking about the services that found, I found really interesting was they had a preview for a new Apple only series called All of Mankind. Oh, or that's All Mankind. right, yeah. That that TV show preview, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, and, and the premise was is that the Russians were the first to the moon. It's an alternate reality series, so the Russians are first to the moon, and then what happened? Basically. The space race never ends as a result of that, and so I think that's just a really, really interesting premise. I've always, you know, loved space stuff anyway. So yeah,
0: certainly if it, as I tell everyone, if it's got space in it, I'll watch it no matter how bad it is. But this looked like it was made by Ron Moore, who did the Battlestar Galactica remake, which I really mm-hmm. liked, and he's done some Star Trek stuff, and I think now he's been doing
1: Outlander on Stars, which my wife really likes. So okay, so you know, Paul. You were talking about uh, how you only keep cable for baseball. You should look at what a MLB subscription would be versus what you're paying for cable.
0: Well, actually, the problem with the MLB subscriptions is they have this MLB TV package that lets you essentially stream games. But because the uh, the rights to the cable stations are uh, location-based, everything's, oh. black, everything's blacked out. So I can subscribe to MLB TV. And I can get every baseball game except ones that the Red Sox are playing in because those
1: So, so the solution is pretty obvious then. You need to adopt a different team.
0: <laughs> that, that would be <laughs> one solution, yes. Yeah, I you,
1: if you're a Giants
0: fan, then you wouldn't have to worry about this. It would be no problem. It's either I move outside of New England where I can then watch the Red Sox wherever or I pick another team, exactly. But, you
1: know, it's funny. I mean, with all the streaming and all this stuff, you would think that they would have – that Major League Baseball – would have changed that they would have changed those rules because that presumes that people are watching on local television, and that's less and less and less true yeah I'm so, hoping when the
0: contracts start to come up to be renewed that these things get changed slightly yeah. and I think a lot of these were really long contracts, and you know you got different markets and they probably are going to want to switch it all at once, so yeah. who knows it's complicated
1: well, Apple TV is really great um. I've been using apple t for t v for a really long time got my parents on it now. they don't even have cable anymore and uh yeah it's it's on i, I could never go back I, in fact, when we were in Houston a couple of years ago for our uh the Zojo developer conference uh I flipped on the t v in the room and of course it's seen you know, a regular t v with commercials and the whole bit like oh i i this is an interesting show, oh crap, I can't like go back to the beginning. I have to watch it from where it is now. And then the commercials came on. Oh, commercials. (laughs) You know, I'm like totally spoiled now by, by streaming TV, having done it so long. Yeah, definitely. And I'll look forward
0: to the user account thing also, because my daughter would often play music on the Apple TV when she has friends over. And of course my account is the one hooked to Apple music on the Apple TV. So she would play things like uh, the Hamilton soundtrack. But that ends up showing on my uh, favorites all of a sudden. Ah. Uh, and I don't like that.
1: <laughs> oh, that was a new feature they added, by the way, uh, of the music app on the Apple TV. It was that you, I think it was there where you could actually see the lyrics scrolling by.
0: Yeah. Well, the lyrics, I bet they would enjoy that. I just don't want the music she's listening to to end up starting being recommended to me or similar things where you Correct. Know, we don't, again, have music overlap interests. So... Uh, that, that'll all be nice to get separated. So moving on from Apple TV, which is a, definitely a fun thing, uh, Apple immediately jumped to iOS, uh, which is probably a little different than years past where iOS is often the closer of these conferences and they did it at the beginning. So uh, me personally, I was a little excited when I saw that because I was like, oh, that means more Mac stuff, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but they put iOS at the beginning and they announced uh, the next version of iOS which I loved when uh, Craig Federighi came out and said his crack marketing team came up with a, the name, and it's, uh, it's I- and they can count, and it's iOS 13. Yeah, that was pretty <laughs> funny, actually. And, uh, and it certainly is uh, always funny to me how Apple does that, where you know as so we'll talk about the Mac names, uh, they, they hardly ever refer to the numbers for the Mac OS updates, but on iOS, they still refer to the numbers, so uh, odd little difference there. And uh, one of the big things they highlighted with iOS uh, 13 is the new dark mode support uh, following what they added to the Mac last year with the dark mode support. Uh, So that was interesting. I'm still rocking an old iPhone seven plus, not one of the new fancy OLED ones that probably will benefit greatly from dark mode. Uh, But I could certainly see at night, which is often when I do tend to use uh, the phone, it can get dark here in the winter in new England. Uh, You don't want bright things hitting you in the face. So dark mode, it's probably something I would only use in the evening, though. I'm not sure I would love it during the day. What do you think?
1: Well, it's, yeah, it's interesting. They highlighted the well, – sorry, they didn't highlight the fact that there's a setting apparently in iOS 13 where you can tell it to switch automatically at night to dark mode. So it's not like macOS Mac where you're in dark mode or you're not. You can actually have it – you know, like they have night shift, right? Hmm. They have that feature. Well, you can have it switch to dark mode at night. Um I saw some speculation in some news articles yesterday where they were suggesting that it might be um, running in dark mode might be a battery savings, but I think that's actually not accurate. Uh, Or if it is, it's minimal. And, And the reason I say that is if that was a significant battery savings, Apple would have highlighted that in the keynote. So the fact that they didn't tells me that when they put black on a pixel, it's not that they're turning that pixel off they're they're actually putting black there <laughs> um because otherwise dark mode would absolutely be a big energy saver um so it it likely isn't
0: uh yeah that's interesting i guess we'll have to to see it's possible also that it's not actually black black it could just be dark but uh, right
1: that's that's yeah. another possibility it could be close to black but not actually right black they also before they got to dark mode uh, and I think it's good to not overlook these things. They said that apps are fifty percent smaller, and that updates would be sixty percent smaller, and that apps would launch faster. But I don't remember how much faster. I want to say they said like fifty percent faster.
0: Yes, I think it was fifty percent. Yeah.
1: So I'm I'm interested to see what they've done to make the apps that much smaller, um, you know, and the updates. You know, apps, new apps that you download and updates are significantly smaller. So.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I could see the updates. They could maybe figure out some way to only you know, like send down what's different between uh, uh, what was you know, already on your, your phone. I mean, I remember back in the old days, You know, I'm talking like 20, 30 years ago, you'd get a, an update on a floppy disk and it would have like a binary patch that would right. update something. So it would be much smaller than the original installation. Uh, right. It's kind of funny. We're kind of going
1: back to that. but uh, Well, yeah, maybe. they're either doing some sort of diff or the, more likely they're doing some kind of compression is my mm-hmm. guess. Maybe they're doing some on-the-fly compression or something. But anyway, it's good to see the apps will be smaller, um, especially because they just increased the size, the, the upper limit for downloading apps over cellular. Right. Yeah, I saw that, which a lot of people that have more unlimited plans really appreciate. Yeah, and then another thing for those of us that have more modern phones, <laughs> <laughs> FaceTime, or sorry, Face ID rather, is they said it's 30% faster. Now, I think Face ID is already pretty fast, but making it faster is, is obviously better. Sorry yeah, I, I, I mean, from
0: people I know that have the newer the phones with the Face ID, I, I can't say I've really heard people say it takes too long. Usually they say by the time mm-hmm. they're ready to move their thumb on the screen or something, it's already identified them.
1: Correct. It, it, the way Face ID works is you almost forget that there's any security. Almost. Because it just, you're already looking at the phone. So there's no special thing you're doing, you know, to, uh, you know, with Touch ID, you rest your finger on there, and it's got to be the right finger and you wait for it to do its thing. But with this, by the time you go to swipe up, it's already identified you. So and yeah, then, uh,
0: I, I can say that uh, I don't. This, although we're talking about Apple stuff right now. I, I do have a newer Android phone, which does have uh-huh. face identification, and it works just like that. As soon as I pick it up and look at it, it's I authenticated me before I swipe to open the phone, and it or, is, or
1: even like pointed at a picture of yourself and you printed out. Yeah, and... I haven't.
0: I haven't done a thorough test to see how <laughs> secure it is, but it certainly is super convenient.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, my parents are about to upgrade to uh, iPhones that have Face ID, which is good because they can't seem to grasp touch ID. They push the button and then it asks for a code and they type in their code and like, no rest your finger. And that's just a exercise in futility. They they just can't understand the the distinction. Whereas with face ID, there's nothing for them to do. Right. So that's really great anyway. But yeah, I think it's really cool that they're doing some performance improvements on uh, app size, launch speed, face ID, um, and that they were significant enough to mention. Uh, they also mentioned something, and they just kind of went past it pretty quick, but I saw some applause, and that was um, swipe while typing. So so we, on, from the keyboard, you could, like, move your finger around to, to – um, it, it almost looked like it made it easy to type with one hand. That'd right. Yeah, I
0: saw. I think Craig was doing that when he did a demo of something. He was just swiping his finger between the keys without lifting them up, and so without actually typing, you're just swiping your thumb or your finger from key to key to key, and it figures out what you're doing.
1: And the way that that I think that that works, because I've read a book by the guy that um, created the original iOS keyboard, is that the way that iOS keyboard does. Um, the way it, it does the auto-completion, the way it guesses what you're typing. You'd think it's looking at letters, but it's not. It, what it does is it looks at the shape, right? You, you, you start spelling a word, and you press a letter, and you tap another letter, you tap another letter, and it looks at the shape that that series makes on the keyboard. It then compares that shape to the shape that other words make. So it's not looking at the letters at all, it's looking at the shape and how close the shape that you went from matches the shape of other words. Interesting. Yeah. So I can see that the swipe while typing thing would work the same way. As you go around the keyboard, you're making a shape. You're going from this letter to this letter to this letter, and that creates a shape. So that's how they would guess. That, that way you don't have to actually – they're probably looking at how long you pause on a letter so you'll pause just long enough to then change directions right actually it's not even the pause probably it's just the change of direction right to another right yeah that makes sense that forms a shape and yeah so that's my guess is that's how they're doing it yeah
0: so ios 13 has a lot of stuff that uh Sounds interesting. I I do always since I'm running the older phone. I'm always pleased when they say they put, uh, you know, they're gonna make it faster and whatnot. So it uh, means my phone is still gonna work, work nicely. So that's I like.
1: I like the fact that they. um, um, Well, the the sharing suggestions on the share sheet is kind of nice. They look at how you share. Like oh well, mostly when you share with Paul, you do it via text message, and mostly when you share with Jason, it's an email, and so they they combine those things together. So you see the person's icon and then you or avatar, and then you see there's a little badge icon indicating, you know, if you drag it here, or you tap here, it's going to share via email.
0: Oh, okay, I, I, I didn't of. notice that little subtle thing on the screen
1: that it, that was. What yeah, yeah. That. So okay. they they've done some nice stuff there, and then. um I use the Reminders app a lot, and it looks like the Reminders app is now pretty context-sensitive. So you can start typing something, and it figures out from what you type when you want the reminder to happen or where, and that kind of thing. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I'm just looking at my notes of, of, of uh, from iOS 13 and the keynote. Um, I thought they're greatly improving the maps.
0: Yeah, the map stuff looked uh, uh, dramatically improved. I I do use Apple Maps a lot, uh, as opposed to Google Maps, and even sometimes to my chagrin when it leads me astray. But because uh, I always forget, I have Google Maps on my phone, but I, I always just forget to go to it. And it'll be nice to see a, a bit more detail in uh, in Apple Maps.
1: Yeah, and I love the 3D look around feature where you could, in certain spots, you can go and, you know, you can actually move around on the map in 3D and they showed an example of Chinatown in San Francisco and they tapped to go forward and it it felt like you were moving down the street, right? Whereas the way it's done with Google Maps when you're in that view, they just kind of stretch the image and it gives you a sense of motion, but it wasn't uh The feeling of of it you really moving down the street and everything going by you like it really would i 'm not sure how exactly how apple 's doing that, but it, it was hmm. it, to me it was really impressive yeah it was it
0: looked cool i don 't often find myself using that stuff uh because i don 't find myself in the big enough cities where they actually have those implemented but uh
1: well they they mentioned that if you're gonna you, you well you can mark your favorite locations, which is neat and and that you can um Use it for planning a trip because you could go to the map of a city and then find places and right. you know, use that, that feature for that. I also like you know, Apple has always been big on privacy, and uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, I like the fact that um, for privacy, they've done things like they've added background tracking alerts. So you, I think a lot of people don't realize what apps they're running are actually sending their location information. So I'm glad that they've added that. Um, they've added Wi-Fi, Bluetooth protection. Uh, they gave you the ability when you share your location to share it just one time. That that's all good stuff. I I don't use um, Google for search, and I don't use Gmail for mail. And I'm not a I'm not a privacy nut. It's not that at all. Um, I just like the idea that I'm not being tracked. So. Um, the, the more Apple puts into their privacy, the better for me. Yeah, and they're, they're certainly uh,
0: making it known to people that they, they do focus on that. They, they hype that up a few times.
1: Yeah, they added uh, for iOS 13 uh, sign in with Apple. So a lot of apps have sign in with Facebook, sign in with Google, and they've added sign in with Apple so that you can, you can sign in without creating an account but you're not sharing your information with who knows who on the back end. Um, and they've gotten, after the keynote, they got a little bit of pushback on that because it, it turns out that if your app provides sign-in with anything else, like Facebook or Google, apparently sign-in with Apple uh, is mandatory. If, you're, if, you, if you provide the other options, you have to provide sign-in with Apple. To me, I have no trouble with that at all. I think that's a, a great idea. Um, well, usually yeah,
0: people but, provide all the options anyway. It's not like they just uh, provide one. So, but it is you know, odd that they're saying you have to do it. But yeah, I guess that's Apple.
1: The, yeah, and then the HomeKit stuff, uh, HomeKit Secure Video, is interesting, um, and uh, you know, to provide people don't realize that, that they've got so much um, IoT, Internet of Things, you know, smart home stuff in their house, and I've got a lot of it here. And they don't realize how much information is kind of going back and forth outside of your house, and and there's always this concern that people could hack into your house, you know, um, through that. So anything Apple does to make that more secure is good. And apparently they're going to have some HomeKit-enabled routers to provide that additional level of security. And I know the first thing I'm going to do when one of those is available, I think Linksys is doing one, is get that and put it behind my um, The fiber router from AT and T. Right. right. So that- yeah,
0: they said Linksys and Eero. Uh, uh, we just yeah. sort of switched into Eero here a few months ago for all our Wi Fi. Our our old Airport Extreme was no longer hitting the edges, and the Eero's been great. So, uh, like it a lot. So it's a uh,
1: glad. I'll to have see. to check that out. I, I I had a different brand for a while, and it had way more features than I actually needed. So I kind of felt like I was I was um, going overboard with it, but. I'll have to talk to you offline about your, <laughs> your router. Talk, now that's geeking out. We're yeah, yeah gonna, no uh, kidding. Go lunch and talk about our routers. The uh, anything else in
0: iOS 13? You want to move to iPad?
1: Uh, hang on, I got a few things. Um, oh, messages. So I use messages a lot, and the fact that you can now share your name and photo is great because if you know people get you get used to seeing people's names in messages because you already know them. They're in your contacts. But I get, you know, stuff all the time from people who I don't have in my contacts. And then you just have a phone number. Well, for me, you know, I I wouldn't expect behavior from somebody that isn't something I would do. So I'd be happy to, when I send a text message to a stranger, to have it have my name and photo there so they know, you know, who I am. Yeah, I was wondering
0: about that. Of course, I mean, that does require the person sending the message to, you know, send along their name. So, you know, who oh, it yeah. is. Um, yeah. I'm hoping that uh, that's something that uh, maybe people do, but yeah, I, I'll occasionally get that. You know, like I'm on a group mailing list for our baseball team and you get a bunch of people that might say, they'll send out a text to say, Hey, who can't make it for the game this weekend? And someone will reply and say, I'll be there. And it's just a yeah. number and you have no idea which player that is.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty neat. Um, I like that they are uh, with photos or using machine learning to intelligently organize your photos and remove duplicates. That was pretty cool. I really like the day view so you can kind of see all the f- photos you took in a particular day. That was really neat. Uh, the year view is cool too. And then I'm a big fan of the AirPods and, uh, I love the fact that they've made it so it can read your incoming messages as they arrive. Um, you know, I'll be out on a walk with my dog and I'm listening to a podcast and, a text message comes in and I stop and, you know, go switch apps and go look at the message. But if it could just read it to me as I'm walking, that'd be great. I'm also a big fan of CarPlay. I actually bought a CarPlay compatible radio and had it put in my car uh, because my car didn't come with it. And they've improved the dashboard quite a bit. So you can be, listening to music and using maps at the same time you can have the con- well you can do that anyway but you can have the controllers for both ah, so you're not switching apps which is really nice um and this is something that's a little tidbit that I I was looking at the at the, some of the release notes for um iOS 13 and it was uh um just kind of a high level overview and they were talking about what works and doesn't work and for carplay it sounds like they might have integrated garage door support, which would be great to be able to open and close your garage door right from the CarPlay uh, UI. So I thought that was cool. I'm also a HomePod user. I've got a HomePod. And the one big thing, you know, they mentioned handoff, so you can, like, be listening to a podcast, come out right. and have it. That's cool. I, I don't know that I would use that, but but... They added live radio, hundred thousand radio stations, so you can listen to just about any radio station on your HomePod, which is cool. But the big thing to me is they've added the ability for it to recognize individual users. So I've turned off the feature where you can tell it to remind you of things that you can tell it to put, you know, send a text message, put things on your calendar, because it would only be mine. I don't want my kids, you know, altering my calendar. Yeah, yeah, but that, yeah. Yeah, now that they recognize individual users, presumably we'll get all that, you know, that personalization. That'd
0: definitely be more useful. The same problem, with, you know, I had with the Apple TV. You don't want all that stuff jumbled under one account. You spend all this time keeping things separate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, yes. And then last but not least, they, um, they've added the ability for the phone app to send unknown callers directly to voicemail. So that's kind of cool. Um, and the here in the United States, the FCC has recently granted um, the phone carriers the ability to do more spam tracking. So we should be getting fewer and fewer robocalls and things like that to our phones, which is great. I, I use T-Mobile. And when they identify one, it'll say scam likely in the caller ID. Yeah, Verizon does that
0: too with their new app. Uh, I can't say it's recognizing as many as I would like, but it has caught a few.
1: Yeah, and I use Killer's app for the iPhone that'll um, it'll both tell you if an incoming call is, is likely, you know, scam or, you know, advertising, whatever. And then you can report calls to them back to the app, which I do. Um, and it'll also, RoboKiller will actually answer the call like if they know it's a uh, telemarketer it answers the call for you and plays a recording that makes it sound like you're talking and and the other person starts talking at you and and it's hilarious to listen to those because they don't realize they're talking to a recording yeah i've heard of that that's kind of funny yeah anyway but so yeah so, so a lot of great stuff in ios 13 um I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, one other thing that I saw, I think it was
0: part of the iOS 13 thing, was they showed how Siri speaks with a much more natural voice. Is that in that section?
1: Yes, yes. And that, that
0: little clip they had, which was a really long sentence, essentially, uh, did sound remarkably better. I mean, it was borderline creepy in how, how good it Well, yeah, I
1: don't think the audience entirely appreciated how much better it was because I was surprised that the reaction wasn't better. But I think it's because they haven't, changed the 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 if they had changed the voice if it had been two different voices right i think that people would have appreciated it more mm. um but yeah they they've gone from from um stitching together sounds recorded from actual voices to generating the entire sound uh programmatically so it's it's no longer a human voice at all, it's a completely artificially created voice, although they're using the current human voices as their you know their base, right? So yeah, I, I expect that it's going to sound a lot better. And if you think back to the original Siri, it's just progressively gotten better and better. The one thing now that we're talking about Siri, though, that I'm a little surprised they didn't address, and maybe it's because they feel that they can't do it well enough yet. And that is Siri does not understand context and uh, the Google uh, assistant does. So I've messed around with that on Android. And yeah, you can ask the Google assistant a question and then you can, it'll answer and you can follow that up with, with, you know, asking for more details and it feels more like a natural human discussion. It does have its limits though. It's almost like, Uh, you have to do it exactly the way they expect or it doesn't work all that well. Yeah, I ran ran into that just last weekend. I was
0: complaining about it to my wife. I was grilling something on the grill. And that's probably the number one thing I use Siri for is to set timers when I'm grilling. And uh, I went back to check on whatever it was I was grilling and it needed a couple more minutes. So the timer wasn't quite done. And I said, uh, add two more minutes to the timer oh my gosh, Siri did not understand what I was talking about. The timer was already running. It had like five seconds left on it, but uh, it could not figure out that I wanted two more minutes on the currently running timer. It just came back and was totally befuddled.
1: Yeah, I get the feeling that Apple's feeling is that we don't have to be first. We don't have to be – we don't want to rush it. We'd rather do it right and and then put it out than to – you know you don't want there's the old saying you don't want to be, you don't want great to be the enemy of good but at the same time you you don't want to, you, well apple has always said they want the user to be delighted right and you know it, it's not it, it's like samsung's whole folding phone <laughs> disaster right i mean how, how how the heck did that happen right so you don't want people to have a certain expectation and then you'll deliver on that expectation and relating this back to zojo that's why we don't talk about things that much anymore that we're working on. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about in in general. We don't talk about re, you know release schedules, or all that because you know we can't be we can't be one hundred percent sure when something's going to ship. We're going to ship it when it's ready to be shipped. That's when it's going to ship. So uh, I, I feel like Apple, to a large degree, does the same thing. Everybody has their hits and misses. <laughs>
0: I yeah, totally, totally. I mean, even big companies like Apple. That happened yes. this year with their uh, their charging pad that they... Uh, thought they oh, that was a disaster.
1: To... Yeah. It's All also right. interesting about that because they there are other companies that make charging pads. So I'm not clear on what Apple was shooting for that they decided they couldn't accomplish.
0: All right. Well, let's move on to iPad because they did something a little different there, um, yep. which was... They essentially said, "Well, you know what? The iPad is starting to become different enough that we want to uh, say the operating system is different, and by giving it a new name." So they went with uh, iPad OS. Uh, sometimes you can predict these things; uh, they're not too clever. But uh, <laughs> iPad OS and uh, iOS—you know—it's kind of funny because iOS was originally iPhone OS when it was only the phone, and then they renamed it iOS when the iPad came out shortly after and uh, now i wonder if they'll go back to iphone os cuz ios is really only the phone again now i guess uh,
1: i think ios is so well known as a brand i don't see them yeah changing. maybe not it's just i'm funny. not even clear on why they felt the need to different i mean iphone and ipad are already different enough i'm surprised they felt the need to differentiate the os brand. It's, yeah. Uh,
0: I mean, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I, I just, you wouldn't expect them to be like, uh, updating them on different schedules, but I don't know, maybe that's something they want to move towards. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll say this. Uh, it, it seemed like overall, when I think of all the things they talked about for OS um, It's clear to me that the iPad is becoming – the the lines between the iPad and a laptop are becoming increasingly blurred. You know, uh, split view, better multitasking, all the improvements to file browsing, um, being able to download fonts straight to the iPad, being able to plug in um, USB uh, or like flash drives and stuff and have it be able to browse those from the file browser – Easier text selection, drag and drop, uh, three-finger swipe to undo instead of shaking your iPad. <laughs> you know, this is all about making the the iPad a very usable um, – It's just more powerful
0: now. I mean, it, yeah. you don't – for many people, there's no need to have a laptop at all because the iPad can do these things well enough for what they need. I personally don't even own an iPad because I prefer a laptop being an old time computer user, but I know like my my in-laws i you know and parents you know you run into tech issues when they're using computers and stuff, and moving them to an iPad is often a great solution because it's harder to mess up an iPad and it's because it keeps you a little more focused on what you're working on uh, you just can work with it better.
1: So well, that's think- exactly what I'm planning to do with my parents. They, they're they on an iMac and, you know, they've got iPhones. So moving them to an iPad will be a lot simpler. Uh, it's it's easier to stay focused on one thing. I mean, I can't tell you my, how many times my mom has, like, closed her email window or closed the Safari window because she's going to switch to some other app. Right. I have to tell her, you don't have to do that. But to her, it's like a physical thing that's in her way she doesn't think about app switching. So the iPad is so much simpler, and the user interface is enough like uh, her iPhone in terms of the icons and tapping and all that, um, swiping, that I think it'll be much, much easier for her uh, instead of using you know the Mac and switching back and forth between the iPhone and the Mac. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff
0: they added to the iPad uh, they talked about yesterday certainly is going to continue to make the iPad more and more useful to people that uh, don't want to fall back to a laptop for certain things. So
1: yeah, they've added the ability in iOS 12, I think. Yeah, I think it was iOS 12. They added added the ability to do screen recording, which I found really useful. Um, I'm a beta tester on an app uh, on my iPhone. And when I run into a bug, I screen record and send the, the author the screen recording. Well, I'm hoping that one of the things that they're adding to iOS 13 that they just didn't mention because it wasn't important enough, I'm hoping they're adding screen sharing because it would be really nice to be able to, you know, if someone's on an iPad and you're trying to help them out, you can't see their screen. And right. me asking, you know, somebody, hey, can you screen record and send that to me? That's not a good way to support them. Yeah, yeah. That's, if they're having trouble, they're probably not going to figure out the screen recording
0: and then figure out how to send it to you uh, also, so –
1: yeah, I, and going back to Zojo, um, of all the multitasking and stuff, it looked to me like that was all OS level. So there's not a whole lot we have to do to, for Zojo users that are building iPad apps. Most of the, you know, most if not all of the features in um, iPad OS, you know, presumably iPad OS 13, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they didn't um,
0: really say a version, did they? They just said iPad OS. Yeah.
1: I, I would expect those to be released in lockstep. Uh, But assuming that's the case, it seemed like virtually all of that stuff that as developers we just get for free, which is really nice.
0: Yeah, we'll have to see uh, more specifically what's under the hood there because I mean those are the marketing names, but underneath, you know, what's the what's the SDK version between these two? Are they different? Are they the same? And these two are just you know kind of level up on top of that. Uh, That's still a mystery. We'll probably learn more after this week with more detailed uh, information that comes out. Yeah, definitely. All right. uh, Well, moving on from uh, uh, the iPad and the iPhone, uh, the next big thing that they moved into with a lot of time left in the keynote, which was also very positive, is they uh, brought out a video for the Mac Pro.
1: Yes, which my wife wife said because she was watching it with me. She immediately said it looks like a cheese grater. (laughs) <laughs> and apparently that's sort of the nickname. Well, um, yes, I have
0: one of the original cheese grater Mac pros that I've had for almost 10 years now. I, I love this computer and, but this new Mac pro looks more like a cheese grater than the original cheese grater. It is, it, that is a little funny. Uh, so obviously it took its inspiration from there. So they, they went through this Mac pro with the video, which was pretty impressive. Uh, the, the unit itself, when you see it, it's very industrial, looks a little mean, um, uh, it looks a little aggressive, actually, with those uh, cheese grater-like teeth that are uh, on the front and the back. Uh, and the specs that it can go up to are amazingly impressive. Um, yes. Up to 28 cores, 1.5 terabytes of RAM. Uh, yeah. You know That's
1: it. PCI expansion slots.
0: Lots of expansion capabilities. The The overall design was impressive, too, where it's kind of like a space frame. Yep. and then everything's mounted to this frame and then the cover just
1: kind of slides over all of it. Yeah, so you have 360 degree access uh and you uh to the thing which is really great. Um I also it's it's impressive that you can actually get two AMD Radeon Pro Vega graphics cards in there.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's uh that's a lot of power and a lot of slots, a lot of expandability like they promised they were going to get people. And uh, that was all great. Uh, people were drooling at the the specs and the demos, that demo of logic where they had like a thousand different uh, right. instruments playing at the same time, and it just it wasn 't yeah. bogging or skipping or anything. Uh, people really seemed impressed with that uh, that that 's sort of a a wow demo, I suppose, because that doesn 't seem like that 's a real thing people would actually
1: do, but that was darn impressive and a, and, and a simple thing really that I really appreciated was I love the handles on top. Right. And I love that you can add wheels that like, to me, those two things, you know, moving, they're heavy, you know, Mac pros can be really heavy and, uh, the handles and the wheels, I thought was a really nice touch to make it easy to move. Yeah. The, thing
0: the, the handles I think will prove useful. I mean, I, I, like I said, I've got the original Mac pro, which has things at the top that look like handles, but they're not handles. And all they do is cut into your hands when you try to lift a 50 pound computer. Uh, so this should be a little more maneuverable. Not they deep. also
1: mentioned that there's going to be a version that's rack-mountable.
0: Yes. Uh, they, they, didn't, they only showed a quick picture of that, so I'm not yeah, sure what that means. Because the, the case of this one didn't seem to be a perfect rectangle.
1: It seemed tapered a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I got that impression too. So it's clear that you, you, you're not going to order a Mac Pro and then rack-mount it. You'd order the rack-mounted
0: version. Perfect. Right, yeah. So maybe just the outer cover is a pure rectangle and slips over that face space frame differently or something. I don't know. We'll we'll see as more information leaks out because they said this was something that would come out in the fall, uh, which you know, as people need to be reminded, the fall goes all the way to December twentieth. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's likely it'll be close to that end of the fall before we uh, hear anything specifically. And then they yes. announced what the starting price was for this Mac Pro, which. You know, all of us have been anticipating for a while, because like I mentioned, I have a Mac Pro, and it's getting a little long in the tooth, so uh, it probably is going to need to be upgraded at some point, and I wanted to be able to add a Mac Pro to my spreadsheet to see what made the most sense, but the Mac Pro, this new Mac Pro, starts at $6,000, which I, I think I heard more than a few gasps from the audience at that starting price, Um And I got to say, that price surprised the heck out of me. I mean, the iMac Pro starts at $5,000, and it includes a display. And the starting specs for this Mac Pro, the $6,000 one, aren't great. Uh, You get an 8-core Xeon, 32 gigs of RAM, a measly 256-gig SSD, and a rather basic Radeon Pro 580X graphics card. Those, I mean, the, the Xeon... At eight cores, is it's fine. That's decent. That has to be the minimum. And Xeons are certainly expensive CPUs, but the SSD and the video card are are not great at all. So the buy-in well, to get
1: yeah. a Mac Pro is high. You know, yeah. The, the start, it starts at six grand, but someone tells me they're going to have like a campaign, something like, you know, like three months' salary, <laughs> <laughs> like a wedding ring, right? Yeah, eighteen grand. You can get a really nice one for eighteen grand, right? But Something like, and and I can understand the
0: starting price. Uh, I mean, the case design is pretty impressive, and the expandability is quite impressive. So um, it is disappointed the initial specs aren't a bit higher. On the other hand, though, the the other thing that probably disappoints me is just the. Uh, I felt like based on some of the pre-talk they were giving that they were designing a Mac Pro that actually would be useful for software developers. And this Mac Pro, although because of its super specs, would be useful to anybody, it's not practical for a lot of people. You know, if you're not doing high end video editing, photo editing, audio editing, this type of computer is way, way overkill. And it is yeah, especially, I, I agree. O- it's especially yeah. overkill for a software developer. There's very few software developers on the planet that need a computer of this
1: power. I mean, honestly, most d- software developers on the Mac are happy on a MacBook Pro. Right. So in terms of power. So, yeah, I don't think that the Mac Pro is – I don't think this Mac Pro and probably any Mac Pro recently uh, – well, there's only been two, right, that have been in the recent years. So the, Right. The, I don't really call the other one, but the little cylinder one, right? I think that and this more recent one, I don't think these were ever aimed at software developers. They're aimed at heavy content developers, so video and audio editing which I, is agree. What they I agree. They've definitely aimed at that. I just,
0: I had the impression and, and maybe I misread some of their comments or stuff that they were gearing something towards software developers. I mean, they were, they did introduce this at the developer conference. I could have sworn there was a slide on there that said most well, of their yeah. pro users are developers. So it just, it felt like a slight mismatch to me that maybe this should have come in closer to 4,000 rather than 6,000.
1: Well, yeah. See, I look at this as uh it was probably more of a timing thing. They know that they get a lot of press around the keynote at WWDC and they had the Mac pro ready and they didn't want to have a separate event for it. Um, Cause that wouldn't get nearly as much press. So I think that they slid it in here with a, you know, it, it, it's not that good of an argument that it's for software developers. Cause it, I don't really think it is. So, I think it was really more just a timing thing. They, they, this was, it was ready and they know they'll get a lot of press and this is the time to announce it. But at the same time, they are at a developer conference, so they don't want to, you know, they, they need to tie it into developers somehow. But I yeah. think that that was a stretch.
0: Well, I just, it seems to me that they, I mean, I, I'm just surprised they didn't try to make something that came in at a slightly lower price point that software developers would feel would be more appropriate. Well,
1: this. no, because that's not the market for it. The yeah, market, apparently it's not. They're going for, the, for a
0: high-end market that we don't even comprehend. Uh, right,
1: right. It's it's really not designed for software developers. I right. mean, there are some – they gave the example of if you wanted to see um, – you run, the, you know, five simulators at the same time, iOS simulators. Okay, who needs to do that really? I mean, you know, that, that just seemed a little bit uh, hard to imagine that that's much of a – it was really just a tie-in to – Make an excuse to talk about it, and- right? Well, and it's, it's like a,
0: I think I was mentioning to somebody. I mean, there, certainly, if this were like you know, given to any software developer, they would take it and enjoy sure. it immensely. But it just you would never hit uh, the the capabilities of it, and it's and the expandability to me is what I really wanted to be able to get a hold of a Mac that had that level of expandability without a $6,000 buy-in. So I guess that's probably right. where I'm coming from. I don't, necess- I don't need 28 cores. I'm happy with eight cores, but I like the level of expandability so the computer doesn't obsolete itself uh, quite as quickly. And yeah, unfortunately, this done. doesn't make sense for that. So um, yeah. that, was, that was a shame. But it's certainly, it's uh, as a, one of my favorite podcasts is the Accidental Tech Podcast, and uh, John Syracuse has always said that uh, Apple needs to make what uh, he refers to as a, a halo car. You know, like when uh, Acura made the NSX or Dodge had the Viper or something like that. And uh, this is certainly a halo computer.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. And just more evidence that it was not aimed at the at the software developer who goes to WWDC, right? Uh, when they talked about the Pro display yes. that they're expecting yeah. you to buy, that Pro display is five grand and if that's not expensive enough for a display that's just you know crazy expensive the stand is an extra $1000 and when they mentioned that they didn't set expectations properly no cuz what they should have said is we sell the stand and the display separately because a lot of uh people that do you know audio and video editing want to mount the display on a wall and you know at their workstation so we don't want to make them buy a stand they're not going to use. So we're selling the stand separately. So the display only is, you know, $5,000. Uh, the stand is an extra, you know, thousand. That would have made sense to people if they had qualified it, but instead they just said the pro, they talked about how awesome the pro display is. And it is awesome. If you're doing video editing, it's incredible. Uh, unmatched. And even at this price point, I mean, it, it's a, Five thousand sounds like a lot for a display, but if you're a video editor and you're used to buying Sony displays that are like forty grand, well, five thousand's nothing, right? Right. Uh, but for that audience, for the WWDC audience, they, they're not really all that aware of that kind of stuff. So when Apple said it's five thousand, people thought the stand comes with it for five thousand, and then they mentioned the stand afterwards, and I, we all heard the audience kind of, you know chuckle a little bit at that like oh come on yeah they might have
0: even been better off saying the the display was six grand or five grand without the stand and you
1: know it's funny you say that because that was my initial thinking you're absolutely right it would have been better to say it's six grand and then if you don't need the stand you know you can take off a thousand dollars and it's only five thousand that's that's exactly right
0: and but this again is a it's, it's a funny thing because that the display itself, the 32 inch kind of wider 6K style display, is something that I think most developers would love. Developers love screen real estate. Often, many run multiple monitors so they can have multiple, you know, uh, source code views, display views, you know, web views all open and spread out all around you. So, having w- one big display is something developers would love. But no developer on the planet needs a display with this level of HDR or color support or any of that other stuff.
1: Right. It's not made for them. And, and, and on the other hand, spending say $10,000 on a computer, let's say a Mac pro that's more fully pimped out, right? Not, not to the extreme, but just what somebody would need who's in video editing and then a spending another six grand on a monitor. So maybe you're at 20 grand, by the time you're done between the two when you're when you're used to paying sony 40 grand or more for just a screen spending 20 grand for an entire solution that's a deal <laughs> right right and it's just so that that market
0: twist and i i guess it just still bugs me just because the mac pro in the past but granted it's the distant past has been such right. a great developer computer and so you're attached to the name and then the cylinder one came out which really also was not a great developer computer it had dual video cards which again most developers don't care about right and, and limited expandability and then so this one was rumored to get back to the expandability which was nice but it's really high end so uh, certainly i mean a, a powerful computer uh, i'm not saying it's a bad value necessarily it's just a the buy-in to get into this is higher than I think most people really wanted. But. Yeah, well, most people who are software developers.
1: Yes, most – well, and everyone who is sitting in that audience, I imagine. It's a software developer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So again, I go back to my original um, guess, and that is that the – it was just timing. right? Well, they had, yeah, they had to announce it at some point, and uh, this is
0: as good a, a point as any. So moving on from the Mac Pro, uh, Apple also announced the next version of Mac OS. And they did. They, uh, they came up with their code name. I guess it's not the code name, it's just the name they go with It's The called, name, yeah. Uh,
1: Catalina is, yep. is, is the name. Um, and I guess the after number- Cat- yeah. it's after Catalina Island, which is off the coast of Southern California, which I, I grew up there. So um, I saw Catalina all the time. Uh, from my parents' house, we watched the sun go down behind Catalina Island every evening. And you could tell what time of year it was without looking at the calendar because if it went down the southern part of it of the island, that was one time a year. And as the year moved on, it the sun went down further and further towards the north end of the island. Right. And I visited Catalina a few times as a kid. So, so I think this would be
0: numbering wise that would make it ten fifteen. Is that right? Yes, we're on ten fourteen now, right? Uh, oh, you might be. Yes, ten fourteen. <laughs> So this will be ten fifteen. Ten fifteen. Mm-hmm. All right. So there we go. Ten fifteen. Uh, so uh, notes I have here for for things I wanted to mention about Catalina. Uh, iTunes is uh, apparently getting split into multiple apps: a podcast app, and a music app, and a TV app. Yep. And uh, I. I Music is what interests me the most, although to be honest, I don't listen to music much on my computer. That's mostly a phone thing for me, but I am eager to see what they've done to the music stuff to, uh, to make that all work. I, I don't really care about podcasts also on the computer. That's a phone thing for me, and I certainly don't come to my office to watch TV shows on my computer either. So,
1: <laughs> Well, so let me talk to all this then. Um, I think it's great that they're doing it. I don't listen to a lot of music on my Mac Mostly I use it on my iPhone. Um, I listen to podcasts mostly on my iPhone. And, but, TV, but TV, sometimes I use my Mac. If my wife or my kids are downstairs and they're watching TV and I don't really want to watch what they're watching, but I do want to watch something, I'll come up and watch it on my Mac in my office. Um, I like the fact that they're splitting it into apps just like they do on iOS. Yes. So. You know, you got a music app, a podcast app, a TV app. I like that the podcast app will let you pick up. You know, from it's basically handoff, right? So I'm listening to podcast. I'm out on a walk with my dog. Come home, I want to continue listening to it, but from my Mac, it'll just remember where I was and and pick up from there. Uh, that's pretty cool. And I like the fact that it uses machine learning to index spoken content for searching. That's a pretty cool. That's a thing, a feature that. You probably won't use it that often, but when you do use it, it'll be really really helpful.
0: Yeah, that that it will certainly be useful. I don't that's not really a I don't know if that's a Mac specific thing or they must be doing that on a server level
1: at some point for Oh yeah, I'm sure they're doing it. yeah, that's not I'm sure it's not being done locally. It's being yeah, it that,
0: that will be definitely useful. Yeah. Um and well, I also think, like the, oh, sorry, I also
1: like the fact that the TV app they added 4K HDR playback and Dolby Atmos on you know the newer uh Macs,
0: ah yeah, that uh I guess you got if you got your Mac hooked up to stuff to take advantage of that, I guess that would be good. um certainly it seems like the Macs should be capable of displaying that if you paid for that content, yeah, uh related to apps i I wanted to jump ahead to the the big thing they didn't really mention in the keynote, but has been uh foreshadowed for some time. Is the fact that uh, Catalina will not run any 32-bit apps? Wow, they didn't. They, yeah, they didn't mention that at all, did they? They did not mention that at all. They, you know, over the past year, and I think at last year's WWDC, they mentioned that Mojave would be the last one. The, the phrasing was weird that they used. They said the Mojave would be the last version of macOS that can run 32-bit apps without compromise. Now the without compromise phrasing is odd because Catalina just won't run them at all. <laughs> so right. I mean, that's not a compromise. It's just, it won't do it, but uh, so it won't run them at all. So if you have a 32 bit app, that's still on your computer, when you install, it's going to get one of those uh, ghost slash icons stamped over your app icon. And if you try to double click it, you just get an error message. that says you need to contact a developer about finding a newer version. So, uh, 32-bit on Mac uh,
1: when uh, Catalina is released is uh, officially gone. So That's sad. kind of amazing. We've been living in a 32-bit world for so long. I mean, Apple it was an early adopter of 64-bit, you know, in terms of their processors, even on the iPhone. Uh, but it is kind of amazing to think that we're seeing the end of 32-bit on the Mac. I mean, it's, you could kind of see it coming, but it's still amazing that it's here.
0: Yeah, and still it to some extent feels like it might be a little aggressive on the Mac, but I mean, if anyone can do it, Apple can do it. They were more aggressive on the phone, but they had much more control there to make that happen. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see on the Mac side, because it it seems like this is, not that Mac is big for gaming, but it seems like this will really impact games that uh, maybe aren't as newer, but people were still playing on their Macs that were 32-bit and just now aren't going to run at all.
1: Well, it's interesting you, you say that because that's the one thing I was thinking of when you mentioned that 32-bit uh, is, is ending. Um, there have been games that I've kept around, you know, because I'd like them, even though they didn't look that great anymore, you know, relative to newer games. But I liked them, so I kept playing them, kept them around. But then, what ends up happening is, is that they're, you know, they won't be playable anymore, and that's just. You know, things don't last forever. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Um, So what are you going to do? All
0: right. So uh, in uh, Catalina, uh, Apple talked about a few new technologies that are rolling out. And uh, Mm -hmm. one of the first ones they mentioned, oh, maybe I'm not getting the order right, but one of the ones they mentioned is uh, something called uh, Project Catalyst, which is something that I think people have been referring to uh, informally as marzipan over the past year or so. And Apple said it was a way to uh, allow you to move an iPad app over to the Mac. Now I'm pretty sure that's the phrasing they used. They said iPad app. They didn't say like generic iOS app or anything like that. They actually correct said the It's iPad, iPad apps. App. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I thought that was interesting. They they uh, they they t- I think tried to make it pretty clear though that it it'll move it to the Mac. But they showed a bunch of other th- – and then you'll be able to do all this other stuff to make it work right. Is, uh...
1: Well, yeah, they're, they're making it – so it's really aimed at the iPad developer, you know, iPad app developer, right, and saying, hey, if you're building an iPad app, you can now make that app available for the Mac as well because what they want is more software on the Mac. Yeah, definitely. So I think it's less about, hey, you can build both from one code base. It's more, hey, iPad developers, make versions for the Mac. We've made it easy for you to do that.
0: I wonder if it's also a way to get more iPad apps uh, in that because I think there's a lot of iOS apps, but are there as many apps that are also tweaked to work really well on the iPad? And maybe they're hoping, well, if you kind of get two birds with one stone here, maybe you'll – You'll do an iPad app that's more ipad ish and then also
1: get uh, a Mac app that way as well. It could be, but honestly, it doesn't seem like they're trying to attract mac develop Mac desktop developers to the ipad it, no I'm so- not
0: thinking that direction. I'm just thinking yeah. iOS develop get iOS developers of which there are plenty yeah. to focus on building actual iPad apps as opposed to just doing iPhone apps.
1: Oh, well, maybe. To me, those are two completely different categories. Mm. You know, uh, you develop an iPad version of your app because you can benefit from all the additional screen space. But there are apps that just don't benefit from that at all. So, um, But we'll see. We'll see what happens. They also added uh, Sidecar, which is uh, built-in support for uh, using your iPad as a second display for your Mac. And I'm I'm doing that right now. I, I I've had a app to do it called Duet, uh, which I've been using. And uh, so it's interesting that they're building it in. I feel a little sorry for the guys that make Duet because I think it's going to take a huge chunk out of their business. But perhaps they have other um, apps that they make anyway. But that's a that's a neat technology to have built in. And they also built in or they've improved the. Um, the find my, you know, they, they've had find find iPhone and all that, that, that app for tracking down your phone, which I've I've used many times to help people find lost phones. Um, so now you can use it with your Mac, and and even if your Mac is off, um, which is really interesting. And they they talked about the fact that it relays the it relays your Mac's location by using via Bluetooth by using nearby iPhones and Macs. So. You know, you you've you left your Mac in its case at a restaurant, and it's obviously closed, so it's not running. And somebody else's iPhone is nearby. It sends a signal to that iPhone, which sends it to Apple, so that when you get home and you go, oh, shoot, I left my Mac. You can go on your iPhone and see where you left it, even th- even though it's turned off. That's really neat. Um, I also like that they added Activation Lock for the Mac, so if somebody steals your Mac, it'll be useless. Um, And so the more that more activation lock gets popular, uh, the fewer times Macs will get stolen because there won't be any point. Um, One of, you know, one of our engineers who, Paul, you know, Stefan, who is in France, I remember him telling me when he lived in Paris that he never took his iPhone out of his pocket when he was on the subway. He says, if you took it out of your pocket, someone would just take it out of your hand. Really? Yeah. But once Apple made it so that you could lock your phone to your Apple ID, he said that just stopped happening because it was it was useless. Right.
0: To... Yeah, the thief couldn't do anything with it, so find other right. things to steal
1: uh, that you can uh, turn around. Yeah, so I think that was a really smart feature for them to add to the Mac. But I will say this. The one thing I would have... Hoped they would do better as uh, finding a better name for that app. I was just going to say that uh, find my
0: <laughs> is a, it's a terrible name. Uh, I yeah. think they could have put a you know an afternoon into coming up with a better name. <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: I'm hoping that by the time they actually ship, maybe they will have decided. Okay, we we need a better name for this, and even you know find my device or Apple Locator.
0: My... I don't know. I mean, they yeah Apple to
1: connect... Wow, great name, hey, Apple. Are you guys listening? i <laughs> just said it. apple locator that's a great name
0: i don't know but yeah find my just seems like they didn't finish their thought
1: yeah, that's exactly right
0: all right uh so another uh thing that they announced uh part of catalina is some improvements to their ar suite of uh technologies and uh i don't remember the specific names of all of them besides ar
1: kit um well, there was Reality Kit.
0: That's right. And then there's
1: Reality Composer for creating 3D models and animations, which basically they made that really easy so that when Paul, when you and I need to do it, we won't be totally, <laughs> I have no clue what we're doing. Uh, it sounds like that was something made for us. And then a couple of really cool features they added were people occlusion which means that you can have someone in the frame and it knows how that person relates to all the 3d objects around them. And normally that kind of rendering has to be done uh, after the fact frame by frame, you know, and, and they're doing it live on the fly, which is just really amazing. So objects can fly in front of you and things like that. That was pretty neat. And then motion capture live. That was pretty darn cool. Yeah. Those two
0: things were neat. Uh, And then they did a, uh, a, a, fairly lengthy demo of uh, Minecraft Earth that yeah. uh, that showed off uh, several or maybe even all of those uh, particular things. And uh, and that was weird because at that point my son had gotten home from school, so he was watching that with me because he does play Minecraft. And uh, it was weird and fascinating, and I found awkward at the same time. So I, I don't know about that, but uh, it certainly was a technological tour de force.
1: Agreed. I, I'm not sure how many people are going to walk around their living room holding their iPads up right. in front of their faces. Um, that's one of those things where you know Jobs, Steve Jobs said, you know, you don't want um, you don't want a touch surface on a laptop or on an iMac because holding your hand out, holding your your arm has weight to it. So holding your arm out in front of you and touching things is not a comfortable thing to do. Well, I think walking around a, your living room, holding your iPad in front of you, trying to look at the screen without, you know, tripping over your coffee table and going face down <laughs> onto the coffee table, I, I think it's a similar situation. Right. Because the woman that was out there was, I think she was using a
0: phone actually, maybe, and, but she was holding that very close to her face, I imagine, so that it filled her field of vision. And but seemed to be standing rather awkwardly to make sure she could see all the AR stuff through the phone and but had a big open stage to work with uh, that appeared to have some sort of mat on the ground that maybe was helping with some of this.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So, right. There was a rug on the ground. they were walking on the rug. And the other guy, there were two people from Minecraft. One the, was the woman. She had her phone. The other guy was not on camera as much, but he had an iPad. Um, and th- I think the reason for the, the mat was that the stage is black. And so the demo wouldn't work very well on a black surface because it won't be able to see where the surface is, mm. right? Um, and most people don't have you know a solid black floor in their homes. So that's why I think that Matt was there to help the demo. Mostly I feel like the AR stuff is, it demos well. I'm not sure how practical it is, but I have seen a few very practical Uses for it, um, uh, IKEA has a iPhone app, and you c- can pick an item from the iPhone app and then see how it would look in your living room.
0: Right. right? Yeah. 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 I saw that. Well, I, I agree with you. I was telling my son that, uh, that a lot of this AR stuff seems like uh, uh, still it's still in the phase of technology in search of uh, a practical use, uh, but uh, okay. yeah, that's app- a practical yeah, that is a practical use. And it also Apple is using it practically. If you do go to the new Mac Pro page on your phone device, you can actually do, use AR stuff to place the new Mac Pro in your office or in your house oh, to sweet. see what it might look like.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, so that obviously is more of a sales tool, yeah. right? But, but another company that does that is uh, Tesla. So you can stand out in front of your house, you can pick with their app the Tesla you want, what color you want, and you can and what model, and you can see what it would look like in your driveway. <laughs> Which I thought was that's a very cool and clever use of uh of ARKit. All right, so so that's
0: uh what uh was ARKit. It'd be interesting to see if uh what actual real super useful things people can start to use these t- amazing technologies for. Uh, the next thing uh, that uh, Apple talked about that I have on my list here was uh, Swift UI, mm-hmm. which was uh, essentially a, a framework that allows you to uh, design your user interfaces uh, alongside Swift much more easily than before, uh, whereas before you essentially had to code up your UI uh, entirely by hand, um, which is tedious. Um and that's why people like Zojo, because, you know, you just drag your uh, layout around and, and uh, design it that way. And this brings some of that simplicity to uh, Swift. Uh, so- yeah, although
1: it's interesting, it's clearly still just generating the code. Um, some of our users on our user forum uh, pointed out that, well, Zojo has been doing this for years and years and years. But we actually go one better because we don't bother you, you know, with the complexities of seeing all that code. That's all hidden behind the scenes because who cares, right? Um, you know, we, the code that you write is the code that makes your application unique. And it was interesting because one of the guys on stage who was demoing that he almost used that phrase. He didn't quite say it. He said, it "Let's you focus on your app." And we've always, at least I have always said, we let you focus on what makes your app unique. TM, in case Apple's listening. <laughs>
0: yeah so uh, so that looked interesting. I, I haven't personally uh, pulled down the new uh, Xcode yet to to give this a try because that uh, depends on the new OS version, which uh, getting all that together takes a little bit of steps on my older Mac if I'll even get it to run at all. but uh, it'll be interesting to play with that and it was neat seeing how you can uh, you know set up a UI and how it's updating the code for you behind not behind the scenes in front of your eyes and you can see what it's doing that That is an yes. interesting uh, technology display.
1: Yes, that was very cool, and I liked the live preview. Um, I'd like to see us have live preview in Zojo someday. Um, that's a pretty cool feature. Um, but Xcode is still, you know, we have users that use both Xcode and Zojo, but I really feel like the average Zojo user still finds Xcode, you know, overwhelming. That, that's, a, that's a tool for professionals, you know, more than anything else. And so many of our users are professionals, but they're not professional software developers. They're professional something else, and they use Zojo to help, you know, them in their business or their organization. Uh, right. So was there anything else on the Mac side that you wanted to bring up? Uh, no. The, there was, a, you know, there was quite a bit of new things. There looks like a lot of the apps that the Apple provides are getting, you know, some nice UI updates. Uh, which is really, really great. Uh, I think, I think that Catalina is more of a maintenance release than Mojave. Mojave had just a truckload of new stuff in it. And I, and, and I, that seems to be Apple's pattern. You know, they have a big feature release followed by a maintenance release. And they, they, it seems like they kind of, right, pattern the development. Uh, and Catalina will work, uh,
0: based on what I just looked up, uh, on Macs from 2012 or newer, uh, except for the, uh, the original cheese grater Mac pros, which are not supported for Catalina. I'm sure someone will figure out how to get it to run because, uh, those Mac pros are often more powerful than like a MacBook air from 2012 or newer. Um, and, uh, it should probably be able to run it, but, uh, uh, the graphics card is often the limiting factor, so you're required to get a beefier graphics card. So, uh, from my perspective, I'll have to wait and see on that one to see if I can get Catalina running on the Mac Pro. Uh, but maybe by then it won't matter. Yeah, that. and
1: the only downside to all this, and it's the same way every year at WWDC, is that uh, they show all this stuff in June, and we've got to wait until October to actually, you know, have a version that we're going to run, you know, in production.
0: Right. Right. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of Mac stuff. We'll certainly be keeping an eye on that and uh, testing Zojo with the betas and whatnot to uh, make mm-hmm. sure everything continues to work as you expect. Uh, and speaking of which, um, uh, we wanted to briefly touch on how some of these WWDC announcements, um, might affect Zojo. Uh, yeah. so probably the, the biggest thing that, uh, that jumps, uh, to us is, uh, the iOS dark mode Mm-hmm. and, uh, Adding that uh, to your Zojo iOS apps is uh, something we uh, obviously want to be able to do, and I think you, uh, I think you recently wrote a blog post about that because it's not something uh, that was really a surprise. I, I think everyone saw that this was coming for quite some time.
1: We certainly did, yeah.
0: So uh, I think uh, adding dark mode to iOS to your iOS built apps, I, I don't think at this point we think that's really
1: a big deal. It's it's just framework side stuff. And... Yeah, we've we've looked at the APIs that are involved in that. And uh, you know, when we did when we did dark mode for uh Mojave, right, macOS Mojave, um we didn't have any you know existing API from another platform that already had it, and we didn't see it coming. It was a out-of-the-blue kind of feature from Apple. And we needed to support it both in the uh framework and in the IDE itself. And the IDE has got a, just a truckload of custom graphics. So all those assets had to be updated. So it was, it was a huge job, really. But for iOS, well, the IDE isn't an issue. That's pretty much already done. Um, the um, We already have events and properties and things in the framework for, for dark mode, so we don't have to worry about that. Because when we designed that for macOS Mojave, we said, well, What about, you know, another platform coming along and needing it as well? So we already thought about that. So it's really just the ability to enable it, um, you know, for your app to basically recognize that the user is running in dark mode and and switch to dark mode. Uh, And the overwhelming list of controls in, um, in Zojo for iOS are already native controls, so all of that's free. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a fairly trivial change for us based on, on the analysis we've already done of the of the new APIs and the work we've already done to support it in uh, Mojave. We're not expecting it to be any big deal at all, really. So, right, obviously, wait yeah. until we're building with the iOS 13 SDK, but, you know, uh, aside from that, and that'll just, just, you know, we'll just have to wait and see on that, but. It doesn't seem like it's going to be a big deal,
0: right? Yeah, and and we probably would be moving to the iOS 13 SDK anyway because we're we've been trying the last year or two to stay you know more recent with those anyway. Right. Well, years. we right
1: what we've typically done is move to it in the release after the iOS SDK is finalized. Right. Um, we don't. It depends on how soon those things line up. If it works out that our release happens a week later, you know, we, we might not do it. It just depends on the testing time and things like that, but we try to make it so that the, the next release after is, is the one we'll, we'll have to wait and see if that works out, how that works out this time. But it, that's typically the case.
0: All right. And, uh, well, one last thing I wanted to wrap up with, uh, which was something that wasn't mentioned at WWDC, but I think was something that a lot of people thought might be mentioned. And that was, uh, ARM Macs, Uh, Apple did not mention that at all, uh, and that's been talked about a lot uh, over the past year, really, is everyone's expecting that Apple at some point is going to put out some ARM Macs because they're getting such great performance out of their ARM CPUs on iPad and and on iPhone, for that matter, and it it probably would be able to handle running actual Mac stuff. And in many cases, these ARM uh, devices are benchmarking faster than uh, Intel Macs. So uh, there was no mention of that whatsoever. Um, so it remains a rumor that will percolate for the next year, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you this: um, when I heard that, I didn't see the point. Honestly, um, the the main reason for going to ARM is uh, for the for iOS and you know iPad and stuff is you need battery life, and those devices are so small that the size of the battery you can get in there is not very big. So having a CPU that is really sipping energy is a good thing, whereas on a Mac, a MacBook, you've got a huge area that you can take up for the battery. So it's not as important. And a a very good friend of mine uh, is a high-level guy at AMD. And AMD does a lot of work with Apple. So um, we've talked about ARM-based Macs. And his feeling is, and I'm not a hardware guy, I'm a software guy. But his feeling is is if they ever did go to an arm based Mac it would be an enormous mistake uh, He said that there's you there's, you really won't get much bang for the buck out of that at all so uh, and i i my guess is is that again they're they're underpowered compared to the x86 equivalents and uh, despite those benchmarks well that's one thing he said too is that you can't really compare the benchmarks because on a, on a mobile device or an iPad, it basically shuts everything off, and it's all being geared towards one app. But that's not what happens on laptops. You, you have your mail open. you got all these apps running. So it's really not a good benchmark. And his feeling is that the ARM processors really just aren't designed for laptops. Um, right, right. Well, certainly on the benchmarking
0: side, yeah, the benchmarks are very short-term tests of the speed, you know, on a Mac, you might often be running something that takes a longer time and is using more CPU juice and thus more battery over a longer stretch. And it's still unknown how well, I suppose, the ARM uh, chips that are out there now handle that sort of thing. Personally, I'm not, I, I don't personally have any big uh, want for an ARM Mac. I, I like the fact that, uh, you know, x86 is, uh, runs Windows, runs all the major Linux variants, and it runs Mac. Uh, obviously for us here at Zojo, that is really nice and it's, oh, yeah. it's nice from a computer standpoint. And, uh, and Macs are still a minority when it comes to desktop. I mean, they're ahead of Linux, of course, but I mean, windows desktops still rule a roost. And, uh, I think it's a big plus on Mac's favor and probably something that really helped their resurgent the last 10, 15 years is the fact that they're X86 along with windows. So
1: there's a better level of compatibility there. Um, yeah, you also have to consider that even if Apple did come out with an ARM-based Mac, uh, barring them deciding they were going to switch over their entire line, now you're asking developers to build for and test on another processor. And that's that's a fair amount of effort. Um, and you don't want users having a bad experience where some of their apps run and some don't, unless you're going to have an emulator. Well, the emulator is going to slow things down even more because you're going from a processor that really is functionally slower than the one that they've that's in the Macbooks now once you consider all the cores and, and running lots of apps at the same time. I mean, you know, when you've got a I mean, look at the architecture of iOS apps, right? You can get a message that your app is about to be shut down. So, you need they give you an opportunity to save your current state. And what is expected is that when your app is relaunched, you will restore your state back the way it was before. So the, the user experience is that, oh, I just have all these apps running and I can just switch and it's all good. But the reality is behind the scenes, apps are often being quit and then they're launching again and restoring their state. And uh, that would not be an acceptable um, experience, I don't think on a laptop.
0: Well, that's a very good point. Cause I mean, we're recording this podcast right now, uh, which is using a fair amount of the CPU on my six core Mac pro, but I also have, I don't know, at least 20 other apps open that I didn't even think about closing uh, before right. doing this because it just doesn't matter. And, right. uh, but that probably wouldn't matter on uh, some other type of device. And I think something you, you briefly touched on is uh, the splitting of uh, the CPU. So, You know, does Apple go all in with ARM or not? Uh, You know, it's one thing to say, oh, well, they can just put ARM on like the the light ones, the MacBook Air or the MacBook or something like that, and then leave the Intel for the beefier ones, the Pro machines or something like that. But that's really kind of a disaster from a platform perspective for developers and even from Apple, I would think. Uh, so that seems weird, and it, it, and you know they just announced the new Mac Pro. It's really pricey, up to twenty eight cores. Uh, I don't think Arm is anywhere near that at this point. So, um,
1: no, I I just don't see them doing this. I I guess what I'd say is why why do it? Uh, is it because of better battery life? That's not it, when it comes to the battery life to uh, performance right ratio. Got, they have plenty of battery life. There's, I'm sure there are ways they can improve battery life without having to sacrifice performance of the CPU. So I just don't see a huge advantage to them. Well, the going, one thing I've read that
0: people say is something Apple wants as an advantage is the fact that they would then own their own CPU roadmap, essentially. So they wouldn't be right. dependent on on Intel putting out chips and then falling behind and then messing with Apple's plans for uh, where they're
1: going. Right, and that makes sense until you realize that the ARM processor, I I just don't see it in a laptop scenario like for macOS competing with an Intel chip. I mean, it competes, you know, when you're, again, when you're on a mobile device where you've got basically one app running, right, then it does a great job. But I just, you know, like you said, how many apps do you have running? I mean, I look at my dock and... I've got a you know, dozen apps running. And sure, most of them are in the background. They're not doing much. But they, they are using some of the CPU. And I just question you know whether or, not the, um, whether or not Apple can get enough. I, I will say this. I don't think Apple would do it until they can show that they've got a huge advantage over Intel. Right. They got to the point where they really could just blow the doors off you know, maybe a, a 20% improvement in performance or something like that, um, then sure.
0: Yeah, you know. yeah. Well, that, yeah, exactly. I just counted now. I've got 21 apps running that are open in the dock, including one of them being VMware Fusion that is running uh, Microsoft Windows 10 with about six gigs of RAM allocated with it. Right. Running Zojo. So uh, it's not like, uh, Mike, you're just, just sitting here twiddling its thumbs. But uh, That uh, would be interesting. Yeah, and I remember when when Apple moved from PowerPC to Intel, which I got to admit, totally shocked and surprised me. I I can't say I saw that coming. But at the time, even with the emulator thing, the PowerPC apps that ran under emulation on on one of the Intel CPUs ran pretty close to the speed they ran natively. So there, so at the time, Intel CPUs did have a pretty big performance advantage over PowerPC at that point.
1: Yeah, that was a big reason to do it. Was that the basically what it was was IBM wasn't keeping up in terms of the Power platform design. You know, they weren't moving as fast as Intel was, and uh, and so they weren't getting new faster CPUs you know quick enough. Um, so they decided to go to Intel, and th- then there was the side effect which I'm sure wasn't lost on Apple of being able to run Windows natively for for users that need that. and Like you said earlier, that's great for us, you know, because we can have one computer that runs every OS we care about. That's that's wonderful. Um, So this is the reverse of that. Apple is behind Intel when it comes to performance, uh, at least on, on a laptop or a desktop, you know, ARM versus Intel. So they would have to not only... Reach the same performance level as Intel, but but exceed them by quite a bit. Um, otherwise, there, I don't just I don't see the point. It just doesn't. They're certainly not going to do it because they are manufacturing their own chips. That you know, I'm sure they use a foundry for that, and they don't have the scale that Intel does. So I, I just it just it, it seems like an interesting thought experiment. You know, what would happen if? But I don't, at least today, I don't see there being nearly enough reasons for Apple to make such a bold move. Right. Yeah. I, I I'm with you on that at this point. And I know
0: we've had people on our forum that have asked, well, what can what would Zojo be able to handle if that, uh, did come down the pike and, uh, Apple made that call. And I mean, luckily we already do this stuff. We have, we have an arm compiler. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, we have an x86 compiler. So, uh, we kind of got our bases covered there. And uh, and if Apple did make a switch like this, it's not like it's going to be, you know, a quick switch. Uh, when they did the PowerPC to Intel, that was pretty quick. And that still was a little less than a year uh, of time yeah. before that happened. So well, be the reality
1: a- is, is, yeah, the reality is, is we already compile the framework for ARM. We already do that. Uh, you can run our Linux framework on Raspberry Pi, for example, which is ARM-based. So we already do that um so if if we needed to support an arm based mac it would be the equivalent of what we did for raspberry pi and so that wasn't a trivial project but it wasn't a big project either you know when we think about all the different things that we've done as a company over the years uh raspberry pi to me was a it was a small project not a tiny one but small that was that's the scale and i think that a, a sporting an ARM-based Mac would be on a similar scale because we already do all this and, and uh, we're using LLVM as our backend compiler and it already has support for that. So uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a thing.
0: All right. Well, this uh, went on perhaps a little longer than I expected. So it's a good, a good comeback since we haven't done one of these in such a long time. You get a bonus episode for our, our return. So, uh, <laughs> So, Jeff, uh, thanks for being on uh, Sojo Talk. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon.